You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. If you're not careful, you can get caught up in debates over these chapters. Debates about women in ministry. Um, We're going to learn about a woman who did ministry for God. And so a lot of people come to this passage and they they try to defend their their points about women in ministry from this passage. And so we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in those kind of, quote, debates. And by that, I mean um, women being in a a lead of a a ministry. Debates about how does God allow some of this gruesome stuff to happen. I mean, I remember sitting back at my office on Thursday and saying to myself, what do you do with this? There's actually commentaries that say the same thing. We're sorry we have to report this. It's in the Bible. And there's so much more that happens in this passage. In the words of one of my brothers in ministry, he said to me this past week when I called him about a a question. I I have a gentleman that I like to talk to about questions, specifically in the Hebrew. He said, you know you're in the thick of the mud this week, right? Yeah, thanks for the reminder. (laughs) Wonderful. Been there before, and I'll be back there again. Anyway, the thrust of the story is about God using people who even give excuses or are less than ready to jump into the service. First, though, let me just give you a reminder. The Lord has asked the Israelites to go in and take up the promised land, remember, but to also get rid of the Canaanites because of their worship preferences of worshiping gods like Baal. Now, Baal was a god of fertility and storm. And I want you to remember that the reason that Yahweh didn't want them to worship with Baal was because Baal was a bunch of little gods. And so it took them away from, from Yahweh. And what ended up happening was they would actually, because they were fertility gods, they would actually ask people to do things like child sacrifices to do things like prostitution. And God couldn't stand it. And so God said to his people Israel, he said, listen, you're going to go in and take the land, but I want you to push the Canaanites out. They're not good people. So the Israelites go to the, go to the land, and, and they do everything but what God asked them to do. And so literally, as you remember, week one, I said that Judges is literally the canonization of Israel. They become who they weren't supposed to become because they didn't listen to God in the first place. God gave them very specific instructions, and they did everything but what he asked them to do in many ways. And so Israel has this cycle going through this time. You've seen it every week, and you will be able to tell me what it is by the end of this series, I'm sure. But here it is. It's on the screen. 
And so Israelites get, get, get comfortable, they get strong. And in fact, in chapter one, we learned that when they got strong, or chapter two, I believe it was, they got strong, that's where the problem became because they rested on their, on their morals. They rested on their, on their own strength. And then they become oppressed. A, a, a ruler, a king comes in for the Canaanites. Now, there's no king of Israel, but the king for the Canaanites comes in. And this is something I want you to understand. And so they bring a king in, and they're oppressed. Last week, we learned that they paid off some guy for, I believe it was eight years, so that he wouldn't pick on them. You know, I, I kind of related it to a, a kid who goes into the, to the cafeteria and says, and has a kid steal his, his lunch money. And he says to him, listen, you either give me my lunch money or I'm going to beat you up. So the kid gladly pays the kid off so he doesn't get beat up. Israel was doing the same thing. Pay him off so they don't pick on us. Pay him off so they don't do war against us. Then the groaning comes. They can only put up with the oppression for so long. In fact, they can put it up with it for pretty long. And then they start to groan. God, why do you have us going through this? We don't understand. And then God, in his ultimate grace and ultimate mercy, then God comes around and he gives them deliverance. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, we're only four chapters in, and I'm getting a little, like, come on, God. These people clearly aren't getting it. When's enough enough? And then God takes your pastor aside and says, I'm asking the same question of you. And he might be asking the same question of you. Follow him when cloud nine, but man, when the waves start hitting, then we start questioning. And so the more I've looked at this chart, and trust me, it's kind of like etched into my brain, I see our nation. I see our people. We walk away. Things don't go our way. We get frustrated. And God in his amazing grace comes down and delivers us. But not for long, because we walk away again. And so in Judges chapter 4, the same thing is continuing, and I just want to read for you Judges 4, 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen as well. See, I told you it's small print, um, so you should watch your, your sermon outline here. But here's what's going on, and then the rest of them will just be flying up on the screen in just a second. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Caesarea, the commander of his, of his army, was based in Harasheth. Now you know why we don't have a scripture reader today. I couldn't do this to anybody. Hegemon, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. 
they cried to the Lord for help. 20 years. 20 years of oppression. 20 years of being picked on. 20 years of frustration. 20 years of God's hand kind of being off of them from a distance. And the Bible says they cried out to God for help. So God raises up a fourth judge. Now we haven't covered all the judges. So if you're saying, well, no, wait a second, we've covered two so far. Why is there four judges? There's other judges in the scriptures. That's why you should be reading along with me um, in that reading plan that our discipleship director or team leader put together. So here's Deborah. I want you to know a few things about Deborah. They'll be on the screen as well. There'll be some, some sermon outline fill-ins if you are filling in your sermon outline today. Only female judge. She was the only female judge. And so that's important. It's very important. Second, she was a prophet who speaks to God. Some may call her a prophetess, like we call deacons and deaconess. So she's a prophet. She speaks for God. She gets a message from God, and she speaks for God. Letter C is, is that she was the mother of Israel. They considered her the mother of Israel. And then letter D, this is an interesting one. She was actually a judge. Unlike any of the other judges, she actually held court. If you look at chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, she heard cases under the palm tree. It says palm, but it means, it means palm tree of Deborah and everything. She was actually a judge. All the other judges were not actually a judge. They were deliverers. But Deborah was actually a judge. And so in chapter 4 is her story. Chapter 5 is a retelling of that story as a poem. So today we're going to spend all of our time in chapter 4. But chapter 5, if you would like to read it, you should. Because it's a beautiful poem about the very things that she see in chapter 4. Now, with that being said, a lot of commentaries say that the chapter 5 is the reason that many people believe that the Bible is still true today. Why? Because it's a first hand explanation of what was happening in Israel. And so if you want to know, if you want to hear what the history of Israel in this, in this general chapter look like, you should read chapter 5 because it's straight from Deborah's mouth to paper or whatever they had back then. It's important. So let's pick up in verse sixes, 6 through 8. Judges chapter 4, you can, it'll fly out then, Tammy. Um, you got it. She sent for Barak, son of Abanon, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Napatal and Sibolian, and lead them up to Mount Tabar. I will lead Caesarea... The, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and troops to Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, 
I won't go. Whew. And we're off to a rocky start already. Let's look at verse, or one key part is, is that Barak is given the promise of victory. I want you to narrow in on that last half of verse 7. And give him into your hands. So Barak is told by the prophetess of God that, listen, you're going to go, you're going to grab some troops, you're going to come up, you're going to fight against Israel or against the Canaanites, you're going to do your job, and, and God is going to provide victory for you. Look at Brock's response. Only if you go with me, Deborah. What? Are you kidding me? You've just been told by the prophetess of God. You've just been told in God's word. You've been just been told that you are going to get the victory. And you're going to tell some woman, only if you hold my hand while I go. Brock's response to Deborah's commissioning of him is, again, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, let me tell you, there are some commentaries that throw Barack under the bus. I mean, they are mean to Barack. He's weak-handed. He doesn't have his head together. He's obviously not following the Lord's will. He's not a man's man. The list goes on. That could be the case here. That could be the case. But here's what we do know about Barak. It seems he's less than impressed with Deborah's commissioning speech to him. He hears it, goes in one ear and out the other. In a minute, we will see that Deborah's response, and it kind of guides us to believe that this is not a good thing. However, it could be that Barak understands something. Here's what Barack understands. He's being asked to take on a, a, an, a, an army that is absolutely ridiculously ready to destroy his nation. And Barack, in the back of his head, could be saying, could be saying, this is just one opinion. Well, if I'm going to go and do this, I want God's person next to me. I'm not doing this alone. Could be that Barack understands the, the issues at hand. And he's saying to himself, listen, this is a big, this is a big deal. And we'll, we'll find out later why it's a huge deal. But then the story continues in 9 through 13. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah, but because of this course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. 
So I'm going to stop there and just say that Deborah says that she will go with Barak, and it's easy to see this as a strong woman pushing a very weak-willed man. But honestly, this is about the part in every other narrative that God does something. And this is what I want you to see. Yes, Barak needs to step up to the plate. Yes, men need to step up to the plate. However, in this story, this narrative uh, in Judges, this is about where Yahweh comes through and says, and by the way, I'll be with you. We don't see it in Judges chapter 4. Why is that? Because maybe Yahweh is using Deborah and saying, I'm going with you through Deborah. Could be. So Caesarea's forces are no jokes. They have 900 iron chariots. Some kind commentators said that these are like the missiles of today. This isn't just, hey, we'll just wish this victory. No, these guys are coming packing with all they got. And so maybe Barak is a little scared. He should be. He's not so sure how this is going to go down. 900 iron chariots against his forces. It's a little unfair until you enter God into the equation. And God does something miraculous. And so we turn to verses 14 through 17. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Caesarea into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Caesarea, all of his chariots and army by the sword, and Caesarea got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harishim. Hagelon and all of Caesarea's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Caesarea, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael and the wife of Heber, the Canaanite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the family of Heber, the Canaanite. Again, Barak is met with the encouraging word from Deborah. Listen to what she says in these verses. She says, go, the Lord before you. And the Hebrew picture is literally this. Instead of the king being in the back, many a times when they went to war, the king was kind of in the back of all of his troops. And so he would stay back, the troops would be out in the front, and they would be protecting the king. And so they would advance, and as long as they were winning, the king wasn't, wasn't scared because his guys were whooping them. All right? And so the picture here, the Hebrew picture, literally flips it. In Judges chapter 4, the king is going before the army. And who is the king? God. And so literally the Hebrew picture in Judges chapter 4 is God before the army. And he's saying to Barak, listen, I got you. I'm leading you. You will win. You will rout them. It's a powerful Hebrew picture. 
Brock does what he's told and notice the wording, the Lord routed Caesarea and all of his 900 iron chariots. Every last one of them. Except for Caesarea. He gets away on foot and finds his way to the tent of a lady named Jael, wife of Heber, who was a threat to Israel because he made a covenant with the enemy Jabin by all political and ethical standards. Caesarea should have been safe in this tent. He should have. I don't know if you know much about Old Testament covenants. They they were pretty serious, like blood was exchanged. This wasn't just a handshake, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. And so he goes into jail's tent for protection. But guess who doesn't follow the book all the time? God. Wait, wait, don't throw the stones yet. You'll have more reason to throw it in just a second. No, is not... God is not controlled by human law. He's not. He simply is not. Let me give you some examples today. And, 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 and I, I'm not here to offend, but I'm here to tell the truth of what the Word of God says. And so, for instance, for years, ab- abortion was, was legal, Right? in the United States of America. But was it always ethical? No. And so God's people had this, what do we follow, God's law or human law? Another example, a little less hardcore. Someday it might be illegal to preach Jesus Christ in his his gospel. You say, that's ridiculous, Pastor. You're talking ridiculousness. No, 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 I'm not. Is that moral to tell someone they can't preach Jesus Christ in his gospel? No, it's not. Am I going to stop preaching the gospel because some person who follows human law tells me to stop preaching the gospel? No, I'm not. I'll start a prison ministry. And I know some brothers that will be right beside me. See, God doesn't follow human law. That's where we get in trouble. God's not in a box. See, if God's hand is controlled by human law, we are in a huge trouble, friends. Because what are humans? Every last one of us, sinners. And so if sinners are making laws, why would a holy God follow a sinner? And would I want to follow a holy God that follows a sinner? I wouldn't. 
Human law doesn't contain God. So in this case, Caesarea should have been safe, but God's law outweighs human laws. So we go to this tragedy in chapter 8, verses 18 through 24. So Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent. She covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opens up a skin of milk and gives him a drink and covered him up. Now, many have made a big deal about this, this, this scripture passage. And, you know, why does he ask for water and, 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 uh, and Jael gives him, gives him milk? And some say that maybe it's because she knew she wanted to get him to sleep. And, you know, a good warm milk is good for going to sleep pretty quickly. But let's be careful to not add to the word of God. And so I'm not sure what's going on here because, honestly, I, I open up about 15 commentaries when I prepare a sermon, and all 15 of them were kind of like, we're not sure. Is there a deal here? Isn't there a deal here? So I'm just going to tell you what I've learned over the week, that let's not, let's not add too quickly. So the, the, the bottom line is, is, is that Caesarea goes to sleep, a deep sleep. He's in this tent. He should be safe. He's not. So Caesarea is sleeping and, and Jael goes out to the front because he asks her because he thinks that she, he's still in control. He thinks he's still the one calling the shots, but God's really the one calling the shots. And so he says to her, listen, go to the front of the, front of the tent and, and, and if anybody comes by and asks if anyone's in here, tell them no. So, if, you know, what he's asking her to do is lie. And he says, listen, just, just, just tell them no and send them on their way. And so J.L. goes out like she's going to go to the front door. Um, Caesarea falls asleep into a deep sleep. And J.L. grabs a, a hammer and a tent peg. She goes back to Caesarea, and he must have been laying somewhat on his side or whatever. And she takes the tent peg. If you're squeamish, you may want to close your ears. And slams it through his temple and into the ground. And he's deader than dead. I mean, he ain't coming back. And so he thought he was safe, but he wasn't. So right after all that happens, Barak comes busting into the tent. He's been hot on the chase of Caesarea. And some believe that Barak wants to take the, 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 the glory for what's happened. And so Barak comes into the tent and Jael says, you're looking for someone. I know where he is. He's right back here. And so he's fully expecting to see Caesarea sitting in a corner, scared, shaking, with his arms up over his knees. And what he finds is Caesarea dead with a tent peg through his temple into the ground. And you know what that means? That means that prophecy of Deborah was true. It came true. 
Caesarea was killed and was handed over by a woman. Now, it may not have been the woman that we thought it was going to be at the beginning of this story, right? When I picked up Judges chapter 4 earlier this week and I read the first half of it, I thought, oh, well, Deborah's going to get Caesarea. No. Because God does his things his way. And he uses people like Barak who make excuses more than do action. Thank God. Now, some things I want you to know about this story, these, these, are, these are application points. And so I'm just going to cover some of these quickly, but some of these I'm going to take some time. This is a dark time. What I'm asking you to understand is, is this is not giving us permission to go out and act vigilantly towards evil in our world. All right? Judges is a dark time. It's when God's people, when everybody just did what was right in the, in the eyes of themselves and didn't really care what God, Yahweh, had to say about it. It's a dark time. This isn't giving us a blanket statement. For instance, for instance, I talked earlier about the, the, the right of abortion or whatever. It is not cool for a Christian to blow up an abortion clinic. That's not pro-life, friends. That's wrong. Just as wrong as whatever else we want to point to. It's not cool for us to hold signs that make fun of people who live different lives than us. Or to make rude comments to them. Judges isn't giving you the all clear to go out and make your move. Judges is a dark time. And God still wants to be honored through what we do. Number two, as far as jail's actions, remember this. God can incorporate the free activities of people into his plan for his glory and for the salvation of his people. Basically, what I'm saying in 2022 language is this. We are not puppets on a string. God uses our free will for his glory and for the salvation of his people. Number three, do not miss the real point of this sermon. And this is so, so key. The real point isn't Deborah and Jael and Barak or any other characters. The real point is that God is a hero. Can I suggest to you, and I'm going to whether you say I can or not, but... Um, Maybe God needs to be our hero. No, not maybe. He does. See, we're looking for the hero that stands in front of a microphone and stands in front of a, 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 a music stand or whatever and delivers great messages. We're looking for a hero in all these other places, but we already have a hero.
and he doesn't get his rightful place at our table. Because we're too busy looking over here for the hero, looking over there for the hero, looking in this world for the hero, and that world for the hero, and who's going to come and save the day? We got one coming, friends. The Israelite people missed it. Don't think you can't miss it either. Number four, the conflict in the book of Judges is not about men versus women. It's not about, um, as many make it, it's not about Israelite leaders versus rulers of the other nations. No, the conflict is about kingdom of light versus kingdom of darkness. (laughs) And that's the conflict today. It isn't about right versus left. as much as we want to make it. It's about the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. Apostle Paul reminds us of that in 1 Corinthians, when he, or in Ephesians, when he says these words, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You want to fight a battle, fight a spiritual one. Stop fighting each other. Just stop. It's light versus darkness is what it boils down to. That's what God's calling us to. Number five is, despite your shortcoming excuses, sitting back when you should be moving forward, God can use you. God can use you. You know, the Old Testament isn't, isn't uh, um, short on people who gave excuses. You remember Moses? Not a very good speaker, God. Here we have Barak who gives excuses but does what he's supposed to do eventually. I want you to be encouraged that God can use you. Stop giving him excuses. You know, in September, we're going to start, you know, kind of rampaging some things or, or really going at some things with discipleship. We, we talked about it at our meeting and, and I'm, I'm not trying to let the cat out of the bag too early but I think I need to let you know this. One of the things we're going to try to do is every first Sunday of, of the month we're going to try to have a VBS experience for children in the area where they come and they, they join us downstairs and we have a junior church experience for them and, and, and all of our kids that are here and, 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 and try to do something. But you know what? The field is ripe unto harvest, but the workers are a little few, friends. I'm too busy. I'm this, I'm that. Yet one of the things that I hear on visitations a lot 
We need younger families. Which one wins? Your excuses or your desires? That's the call of Judges chapter 4 and 5. Take God with you and minister to children. That's the call of Judges 4 and 5. How do we know this? How do we know that God will still use us in spite of all of our shortcomings? In Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Faith chapter. And do you know who's not mentioned there? Deborah. Do you know who is mentioned there? Barak. Now, to Hebrews author, he says... I don't have enough time to go through all the people of history, and so I do give him a little bit of grace in this situation. But isn't it funny? The man who sat back and didn't want to do what he's supposed to do at first, we see he does, is the man who makes the hall of faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, we'll talk about him next week, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, about David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Wow. The guy who the commentary throws under the bus time in and time again makes the hall of faith. Let me tell you what I texted my friend who I talked to about Old Testament things. Man, if Barak makes it, I have a chance. And he wrote back, amen, amen, amen. And let me tell you, everybody that sits here this morning and is watching online, if Barak makes it, you have a chance. But you got to get moving. You got to do it got to get involved got to stop giving them excuses that's what Barack did and when it's all said and done Judges 531 says it best here's what it says so may all your enemies perish Lord but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength Then the land had peace for 40 years. Wow. So they go through this time. Things happen with Jael. She puts the tent peg through the guy's head. Notice the wording of 531. The sun comes up in its strength. What sun? Light. It's light. Versus darkness. It isn't Deborah versus the other women. It's light versus darkness. You want this world to change from darkness to light? Be the light. It's that simple. Be the light. Judges chapter 5 tells us then when the light shone 
in all of its strength, only then did the land have peace for 40 years. I don't know about you, but I desire peace. I'm about tired of fighting with everybody about everything. But the only way to peace is for the light to shine. And the only way the light's going to shine is if we that are the light shine it. I mean, he could do it without us. Don't hear me wrong. But he chooses to use each and every one of you. That's our great God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Judges chapter 4 and 5. We thank you for the lessons from Deborah and Barak and Jael and others. But we thank you again for turning our minds to darkness versus light. That's really what it comes down to, Lord. It's so important to remember that. Our fight is not against other brothers and sisters that sit in this room. Our fight is not against other people who are in this world. Our fight is against the darkness that has overcome but has not put out the light. We still have the opportunity because the light is never truthfully all the, all the way put out. But we as believers are the light of the world. You're clear about that in Matthew chapter 5. It's not when we become this or we know this amount of the Bible you say that when we become a saved, a saved person, a person who knows you, we are automatically the light of the world. I pray, Lord, that lights that have been dimmed will burn bright again. And that, Lord, we will look inside of our own hearts. And it's not about the next guy. It's not about the person who's missing today. It's about us and our hearts. Help us to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 